0: Listening to the 10-7 Podcast, where we get together every fortnight, not the game, but two weeks, and sometimes more often, to talk about technology, business, and the humans in it. I'm your host, Eva Stegich, and this is my takeover of the podcast. As part of a school project, I had to interview three family members, and what you're about to listen to is my interview with my dad, Yvonne Stegich, who usually hosts this podcast. We talk about his own history, how he got to do what he's doing, and more. Enjoy!
1: Okay, you have a bunch of questions. I have
0: 14 questions for you.
1: 14? Yeah. Geez, how long is this interview going to last? Like I
0: said, an hour. Wow. Where and when were you born? is my first question.
1: Where and when was I born? Mm -hmm. I was born at 5 p.m. in the afternoon by C section. My mom was in labor for very many hours. I was two or three weeks. Late. Hmm. So I was almost overcooked. <laughs> and I was born at Queen Victoria Hospital
0: mm-hmm.
1: in Johannesburg, South Africa. It was a, a state-run hospital. It was giant. It was the most advanced hospital in South Africa. Oh. And I believe that I was... In the i c u the intensive care unit after I was born
0: where where did all of this happen
1: in Johannesburg
0: did you live in Johannesburg for your entire life?
1: no, not my entire life
0: no, um, I mean your childhood
1: my childhood yes, I grew up in South Africa
0: interesting
1: interesting yes
0: okay, question number two where did you grow up
1: <laughs> I grew up in in the city of Johannesburg, in, um, mostly in a suburb called Northcliffe. Uh, before that, we lived in a suburb called Yeoville, but that was really close to um, the city center.
0: What is your education?
1: So I went to an all-boys prep school called Keps, K-E-P-S, and that was from grade one through standard five, so the equivalent of that in America would be first grade through seventh grade. That's called primary school
0: mm-hmm.
1: in South Africa. And Kipps stands for King Edward the Seventh Preparatory School. King Edward the Seventh Preparatory School. Cool. And in high school, I went to a school called um, Greenside. GHS, Greenside High School, and I was there from Standard 6 through Standard 10. We also called Standard 10 matric, and that would be the equivalent of 8th grade through 12th grade. And after I I graduated from high school... I went to the university. Witter Votel.
0: Witter <laughs> no, like that.
1: I went to the University of the Witwatersrand. That's what it was. Witwatersrand, W-I-T-W-A-T-E-R-S, R-A-N-D. It means the ridge of white waters in Afrikaans. Mm-hmm. And in the university, I studied psychology and physics. I got a double major, bachelor's degree in psychology and physics. And then I went on and did my honors degree in physics. And then I started my master's degree and my PhD in physics, but I ended up not finishing that degree. Instead, I ended up immigrating to the United States.
0: Cool. So, did you ever go to grad school?
1: It was in grad school at Witz. That's what my master's and PhD was,
0: so but I didn't finish my degree. And college. And was... I went
1: undergrad.
0: So it was all at Witz?
1: It was all at Witz.
0: Vits Close enough. What influenced you the most?
1: I think growing up, your parents, my parents, influenced me the most. But when I got to high school, I started to um, really enjoy my uh, math and my science. In high school, and I used to love the fact that math and science gave me real data and real information. And so the thing that influences me the most right now is critical thinking and using data to come up with good decisions and good ways of living life. I don't like to live life and be influenced by things that are fake or things that are not real.
0: So you like real, you like facts.
1: I like facts and I like data.
0: We were reading about this one philosopher and he liked math because every day when you wake up, 2 plus 2 will always equal 4.
1: It's a nice comforting thing to know that those are um, facts that you can rely on. That they don't change.
0: And it doesn't matter
1: where you are in the universe, it'll always be 2 plus 2 equals 4. Here or... On Mars or in a Harry different... Harry Styles Land. In a Harry Styles Land, wherever that is, or in Alpha Centauri or in some other galaxy.
0: Cool. Okay. Yeah, like when did you realize that you enjoyed math and science?
1: Uh, very early on in high school. I was probably in Standard 7, so ninth grade. Cool. Yeah. Uh, it's about how old you are, I guess.
0: Who were your teachers? Do you remember any of them? I do. Oh,
1: yeah, I remember them all. I remember Mrs. Fisher. Her name was Nancy Fisher. She was my science teacher, so she taught me physics and chemistry. She was always very challenging, very smart, but very encouraging. She was wonderful. She was the greatest science teacher I ever had, I think. And oh, wow. had Miss White. I don't remember her first name. Because when we were at school, we would only ever use their last names.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, Nancy White.
0: So you had two Nancys?
1: Yeah. Oh, no it, wasn't. no, it wasn't Nancy. It was Nancy Fisher. Um,
0: Brenda
1: White No it wasn't Brenda <laughs> It was White with a, with a Y She became the headmistress of the school after I left And she was my English teacher oh, cool. She was really pedantic And um, specific And really challenged my knowledge of grammar um, And then I had a really good math teacher as well um, I can't remember her name
0: remember miss stone when miss stone her- yes i
1: remember so you must remember i must have I talked about miss stone, Ms. stone was my teacher in third grade mm-hmm. and that was at the all boys school i went to and she didn't like when you talked out of turn mm-hmm. or when you talked to your buddy. buddy next to you and when it was especially when it was time to be quiet and i had a problem they used to call me a chatterbox and um, I used to talk when I wasn't supposed to. And I remember one time Miss Stone was walking around the class, and I didn't know where she, I didn't think she was right behind me, but she was right behind me. And I said something to my friend Giuseppe who was sitting next Giuseppe,
0: to me. Giuseppe. That's his name. Giuseppe.
1: He was Italian. Giuseppe. I said something to him, and she whacked me on the back. Oh, I know, oh, a little oh. little third grader. She little whacked Leaston. me on little Yvonne. She whacked, me, What are you doing? And I'm like, oh, 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 where going? <laughs> <laughs> I guess I wasn't supposed to be talking to this guy, Giuseppe. Did you,
0: were you friends uh, with Giuseppe?
1: Giuseppe was my best friend in elementary school. Uh, I remember how you spell his name because he used to say it all the time. G i u s e p p e.
0: G i u.
1: S e p p e.
0: G. Giuseppe.
1: Oh, that's
0: cool. Okay, what were your hobbies when you were young?
1: Oh, what were my hobbies? Did
0: that did science and math influence too? So did it you like did.
1: It I did first the kind of the things that I used to do was make models. I used to make wooden model houses out of balsa wood, and I used to make plastic model airplanes, war airplanes, those Spitfires, and uh, those are English uh, uh, war planes, World War Two planes, mm-hmm. and then um, I had a lot of Lego. And then I, I had um, these electrical boards that you could put together, and I had mechanical boards, Meccano, and
0: like Gano, ca- kind of
1: yeah, and <clears throat> Lego. Um, and then I got my first computer in 1983 when I was seven. No, 1985 when I was nine. I was in third grade, and I started. You, you would plug I still have the computer You plug it into a really? TV Yeah it's upstairs oh. You plug it into a computer You plug it into a TV And then You have to um, Program it yourself And so I would spend Hours on the computer Making it do stuff Not playing like games Because there were no games You'd have to write code To make it do stuff
0: mm, Is that how you got Interested in code? That's
1: how I got interested In computers and in code So
0: yeah, it kind of all so, started From there Yes it did do you remember your first memory of getting
1: it? Yeah, I remember getting it for Christmas and opening it up, and it had an orange and brown cover manual that I read from beginning to end. <laughs> of course you did. Yeah, it had all the info on how to code inside it and how to set it up, and I plugged that into the TV, and um, it was a good experience. The was first it,
0: Was it one of those box TVs?
1: It was one of those 80s box TVs, yeah. Cool. It was pretty big, too. It was like 23 inches, maybe. Really? Something like that, yeah. That's pretty big for Well, for TV. 1980s, that's pretty big, yeah.
0: Okay. What was it like living in apartheid? You lived through that, right?
1: I did. I lived through apartheid.
0: Tell me more about that.
1: Do you know what apartheid is? Sort of. Apartheid is an Afrikaans word. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, it's literally two words. Apart and height. And in Afrikaans, apart is the same as the English word apart. It means mm-hmm. to be separated. And hate is um, the, the state of being apart. Mm-hmm. And so apartheid was the Afrikaans word that meant be apart. The state of being apart. Everybody should be apart. And what it meant was whites were, were more important than coloreds. And that's mm-hmm. what the government called people who weren't white. Um, Blacks, coloreds, and Indians. That's what they used to say. And um, the government used to um, say that whites were superior to every other race there was. And, of course, we know that that's not true. We're all equal. We're all human. Mm -hmm. Um, But what it meant was that the government made laws that kept white people apart from black people and from colored people and from Indian people, as they said, and the law treated those people differently, and so when I grew up, it was right in the middle of that, and I really didn 't know what was going on. all I knew that all I knew was that I would go to school when i 'd go to school, there would always be all boys, and um, not only were there all boys, they were all white boys, and we didn 't have really any TV in the early eighties there was one channel it was the state run TV channel that the government had um, and it was only on from like five in the afternoon to ten in the evening so it didn't really get too much it was controlled by the government the newspapers were mostly South African newspapers so they told you what they wanted you to believe um, and so I didn't really know that 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 I was living under A completely racist state Mm -hmm. I did notice things were weird Like when I'd go to um, I remember I had a nanny Mm -hmm. Every single Almost every single white family had a nanny Nanny was always a black lady Was always a black person And um, I would go to the To the uh, park With my nanny And that was the only place where Black South Africans were allowed to go Where there were white South Africans as well So my nanny would take me in and I would play with other white boys and my nanny would talk to other nannies who were also black and all the white people all the white boys and girls would play together um, and then there were, there were bathrooms, I remember very distinctly that there were bathrooms public restrooms um, there were always four, four four bathrooms white men and white women
0: mm.
1: and non-white men and non-white women there were That's always sad. four, very sad, yeah and the stencils, I remember the pictures, what they would do is they would the brick buildings and they would stencil the logos for, you know, what a logo of a man and what a logo of a woman looks like. You know, mm-hmm. usually there's legs for a man and the woman has a dress on. Mm-hmm. I remember they would be painted white and painted white. And then the other two, they were painted black and painted black. Seriously? Yep. Wow. I'm sure you could find some pictures online of that.
0: So... That was like one of your memories that you remember. That's like, one of my. Mm-hmm. Okay. Wow, interesting. Um, what was your favorite music as a child? Did
1: as you listen child, to music, or were
0: you into? Oh,
1: I was so into music. Um, yeah, we didn't get very um, a whole lot of music. My dad would buy music, and it was always vinyl. So we had a lot of vinyl at home. And so I got used to listening to the same sounds all the time. Uh, My favorite album was Xanadu by Olivia Newton-John.
0: Oh!
1: You know this. I know, I know that. that. Yeah. I used to listen to that all the time. And then a song that Mom absolutely hates is a song called Baker Street by Jerry Rafferty. And um, (laughs) I just listen to that all the time. (laughs) And then there was um, uh, Wham.
0: I love Wham. I uh, know
1: we had that vinyl, and then there was Culture Club.
0: I love the Culture we had Club. I that vinyl. Carma Chameleon.
1: Yes, and then we had Aha. Yes. And we there's also there's only like one good song though. And then there was some. There's one other one, um, and so that was the vinyl we had. And then we also listened to the radio a lot. So all of the mo- uh, sounds from the '80s. And what I used to love listening to was the American Top 40.
0: So was it the best Top 40 It was the Top 40
1: songs, and it was a program that was um, um, produced in the United States, and it aired on BBC World Service that we got in South Africa. And that was on Sundays, and it was with Casey Kasem. And it was four hours of music. Counting down the hits from number 40 to number 1.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I used to love listening to that.
0: I like Katie WB's top whatever it was.
1: Top 10. Yeah. 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 That was awesome.
0: Interesting. Okay.
1: You got to write some notes, man.
0: I know. I'm, I have to type this all Oh,
1: you're going to type it out. Yeah, okay. I have to type
0: it out. Um, what do you remember about when Nelson Mandela became president? Were you there for that?
1: It was. Um, Nelson Mandela became president in 1994.
0: I did. I looked that up and I did all the math.
1: Yeah, how old was I in 94? 18. I was 18, and um,
0: I looked that up. Too. I was
1: actually. I was not able to vote in the election you because were. no, because I turned 18 in October of that year, mm-hmm. and the election in South Africa was in April, and so I was oh. 17 when it was the election. So mm-hmm. he became president. In '94, and he was president for five years. Mm-hmm. That was the first term. He was released in 1990, mm-hmm. so he was in jail from for 27 years, mm-hmm. and he was released when I was in eighth grade, and I remember it quite distinctly. It was the beginning of the year 1990, mm-hmm. um, and then for those four years, there were lots of negotiations and lots of planning and lots of. Work to figure out how South Africa was going to go from being a completely oppressive, racist state to being an integrated society where every person could vote, and where there was a democratic process and a democratically elected president. And so, over those four years, there was that was my whole high school career. There were a lot of um, things that happened that um, we weren't sure what was going to could have been. There could have been a lot of violence. There could have been a shortage of food. There could have been many different things. But now I think now wasn't
0: there like a shortage of water
1: in? There's a shortage of water in Cape Town. Okay. Um, and Signe so thought that would happen, but it's happened, and there are other problems there too. Yeah, I was just remembering what it was like. Um, yeah, we didn't really know what was going to happen with when Nelson Mandela was released. But we were very happy to um, no longer have apartheid and no longer Mm -hmm. have sanctions. Mm -hmm. And so we started getting things like Pepsi in the Mm -hmm. 90s. And, you know, big companies that weren't allowed to do business in South Africa, Mm -hmm. were started coming back. Um, And my school was, my high school was a girls' and boys' school. Mm -hmm. And we also wore uniforms. Mm We were only, only white kids because it was technically still apartheid. Mm -hmm. And then when Nelson Mandela was released, it kind of started to change. And we started to, uh, we became a model C school. Mm -hmm. That's what they called it. That meant that these were white, predominantly white schools that were now starting to accept uh, black South Africans as students. Mm -hmm. So about halfway through high school, we started seeing uh, black South Africans Um, join my school Mm -hmm. and very slowly it became integrated and I look at pictures right now of my school online because they have a website of Mm -hmm. course Mm -hmm. there are very few white people there so it's more representative of what South Africa is like
0: that's nice do you remember would you have voted for Nelson Mandela or would you have um, if you had the chance to vote would you have not voted would you have
1: if I had had the opportunity to vote I would have voted Mm -hmm. yes um I don't know who I would have voted for. That's a who really the good other question. Runner? Um a white guy. Mm-hmm. Uh some white guy. Yeah. If I think it was if I think it was FW de Klerk. Mm-hmm. He was the guy that was the president uh, when Nelson Mandela was released. Mm-hmm. So he was a good guy. I think he got a a Nobel Peace Prize together mm-hmm. with Mandela if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Um I probably would have voted for the white guy Mm -hmm. probably Mm
0: -hmm. do you remember any protests or celebrations because of this
1: um yes I do remember protests but I only ever I was not involved in any of them because I was too young when those protests were Mm -hmm. happening those protests happened in the late 70s and early 80s um I do remember um watching the protests on TV (coughs) in the Mm -hmm. late 80s and then in the early nineties, um, I remember there being a lot of violence. There were things called necklacing. Do you, have you ever heard of that? Mm-hmm. People um, who would who would protest would get really angry, and um, they would. And there were always two factions fighting, like the Zulus against the Corsas, uh, or there were like two always two factions fighting for some reason. I don't know why, um, but when they'd get really angry, they'd they'd select someone in the crowd and they would get tires you know mm-hmm. tires from
0: like from car tires? car tires yeah
1: without the wheels inside them oh, and yeah. they would force those people to stand and they would hold them and then they would put those rubber tires around them four or five of them and do you know what rubber tires are they're very very flammable so then they would light the tires. Oh my God! Uh huh. And that was called necklacing, because the tires were around their bodies and they couldn't oh. move. And so it was like a necklace around their throat. You know, yeah. it was horrible. It was absolutely so horrible. So Were
0: people doing this to the people who liked Mandela or people who didn't like Mandela?
1: It didn't have anything to do with Mandela. It was um, they were angry about they were protesting, and then they were angry about something or other, and and they were just. I almost feel like the government was, stoking those. Mm-hmm. Those fears and that anger, uh, but I remember seeing that on TV. Um, that was when I was. That was during high school, and then when I got to college, the university that I went to, because it was the largest and the pro- most pro- most progressive university in South Africa, mm-hmm. it had a ton of protests, and so I would remember going to class, and then sometimes my classes would get cancelled because there was a protest going on on campus. And so then we'd go to the physics building, for example, and look outside the windows and you'd see a mob of people walking past and protesting and um, chanting and dancing and and holding signs. And sometimes in the student concourse, like the main building where um, all the the students would gather, sometimes in the concourse there would be a sit-in and there'd be... um, you know, students protesting something And they'd be sitting everywhere All over the floor And you couldn't get You couldn't get from one side Of the building to the other Wow Yeah So there were protests I lived through that Interesting Yeah
0: Cool to hear about Okay Um How did you decide to come to America And why did you choose Minnesota Over all the places?
1: That's a good question Um Well, the story goes, um, in my third year of university, I was in the student concourse I just mentioned. I had gone to um, either use a lab or get a sandwich. I don't remember what it was. But when I was walking back to the physics building where I needed to go to get a class, I saw an ad on one of the notice boards for a competition. Mm
0: -hmm. It was
1: a competition run by Honeywell.
0: Oh, that's... That's where you started to That's work. where I
1: started working. It was a competition that Honeywell ran. And they ran... And Honeywell is an international company. Mm-hmm. So they had a branch in South Africa. Mm-hmm. Branches all over Europe. And they ran this competition called the Futurist Competition. And you would have to... The competition was you write an essay. And you imagine what life would be like in 25 years. And you mm-hmm. describe what you thought life would be like in 25 years. And... Um, and then you have to provide evidence, and and then other people do that. So my essay ended up winning the South African. Really. Yeah, my essay was the Aww. best essay in South Africa, and so what I was awarded was a trip to Germany, to um, compete in the finals, where all of the other national winners competed. So there were twenty of us. This was in nineteen ninety seven. And um, we all presented our essays to a group of judges. And of those 20, they selected four. I wasn't selected for one of those um, scholarships, but each of those four people got a full scholarship to any university in the United States for graduate school. And Honeywell would pay for that.
0: Oh, my goodness. So I
1: didn't win that. But I met a man called Ron Peterson in -hmm. Germany when I went. And he studied the same physics, the same field of physics that I had studied in, in school. And we got to talking and we got to know each other and we exchanged information and when I got back to South Africa when I started grad school um, I found out that another futurist, another, physis- another um, physicist who was a finalist ended up getting an internship at Honeywell Technology Center here in Plymouth. Mm-hmm. And he sent me an email and he said, you should send Ron an email. You should come visit us next year. So I did that. I sent an email to Ron Peterson and Ron responded in about half an hour (laughs) and said and responded back to me and copied his assistant and said, "Um, let's get an internship arranged for Ivan to come and visit us when he wants to. Mm -hmm. And I said, that's amazing. I want to come right now. (laughs) Um, But I couldn't go right now because we (laughs) had to take care of care of uh, things like. Um, visas and flights And places to live when you came here Yeah. So um, they arranged A six month internship For me at Honeywell Technology Center In Plymouth, Minnesota mm-hmm. And so that's how I ended up In the United States I didn't choose Plymouth or mm-hmm. Minnesota Basically it chose me mm-hmm. Had Ron Peterson and the Technology Center But anywhere else in the United States I wouldn't be here You wouldn't be here but I would end up being in that location So yeah. In 1999, I spent six months in Plymouth from January through July, and then I went back to, the Uni- er, to South Africa to continue work on my um, master's and PhD, but I loved America so much that I tried to do everything I, can, I could to come back here, and I was able to arrange another internship at Honeywell in 2000, um, and so I came back in 2000. For another three months, or maybe it was four months. And then I went back to South Africa, and then I arranged a final internship in Honeywell for 2001. And I came back here, and um, then I stayed. Because at that point, I'd been to America so much that um, I'd gotten to know all the people here. And then someone offered me a job at Emation. And so I ended up getting a, a, a visa to work permanently, an H-1B visa. And I ended up working at animation
0: Cool.
1: And in 2000, the second time I came back was when I met... Susie. Susie.
0: My mom.
1: Your mama. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. What is your job?
1: What is my job right now? Yes. Well, I am the... Uh, CEO and president of a company called Ten Seven.
0: Really? Yeah. Yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's a it's a company that creates and care for cares for Drupal powered websites. We are a company that's been around for almost thirteen years since two
0: thousand and seven. Oh my gosh! No.
1: Is that the right math? No, No. almost 12 years, not 13, almost 12 years. (laughs) Math is hard. Um, And we basically, we build websites for companies and nonprofits. And after we've built them, we support them and we keep them up to date and we build new things on those websites. So I basically run the company.
0: What are your biggest clients?
1: Our biggest clients?
0: That we might know.
1: That you might know. Um, Psychology Today is a big client of ours. Senex, um, they're a petrochemical company, they're a client of ours. Um, Bloomington Public Schools District is a client of ours. Macomb County in Michigan is another client of ours. And then the Animal Humane Society is a client of ours as well. You may have been there before to see animals, pets, dogs, cats. We like working with them, they're, they're a fun client.
0: Um, how did you choose to start 107?
1: Um, I kind of started 107 by mistake. I didn't, I didn't really do it on purpose. Um, I was working, after Honeywell, I worked at Emation. Both of those jobs were me working as a physicist because I studied that. When I left Emation, I worked at a software company called Nazca for two years. NASA? Nazca. N A Z C A. Nazca. Nazca. Oh. I worked there for two years. And that was before you and your brother, your baby brother were born. And um, while I was at Nazca from 2005 to 2007, you guys were born and you were babies and I worked a lot. I didn't work from home. I had to go to the office. I didn't see you guys at all. And I worked about 50 or 60 hours a week. And that was a lot.
0: That is a lot.
1: I totally stressed myself out and burnt myself out. And I finally decided, and Mom and I decided that it was a good time for me to...
0: Daphne. Daphne.
1: (laughs) It was a good for me to quit the job. Um, And it was in 2007. We had saved some money. And we just kind of, I just quit the job and decided to stay at home with you guys, with the babies, and with Mom. And as I was doing that, I was volunteering on a project to rebuild a website for the Basilica of St. Mary. And then they finally decided that they wanted a brand new site. And I said, I could build it for you, but you'll have to pay me because now I don't have a job. And they said, okay, how much is it going to cost? And I told them how much it would cost. And they said, okay. And, um, and so I had to figure out how they were going to pay me because they couldn't pay me. They had to pay a company. So I made a company on April 16, 2007. And they ended up paying the company. And it was just me, and I worked in my basement.
0: So you got all of the money?
1: I got all of the money.
0: (laughs) You didn't have to split it between less. I didn't have to
1: split it between any employees. And Eva, yeah. Um, And so then when I started working on that project, I thought, oh, I really like doing this. And I was working with someone called Eddie. And she she had other clients that wanted websites. And she said, would you help me build these websites? Because she didn't know how to build them, but she knew how to design them. And I said, okay. And so I just kept building these sites, and that's how I started Ten Seven. So. And then after, this- after a while, I had so much work, I couldn't do it all by myself. So I had to hire someone. So I hired Michael Start, and then, I, and then we spent time in our basement, and then that wasn't working out because we couldn't is have Michael meetings there. Is Michael
0: the one with the dinosaurs? That no, else?
1: that's Rob. Rob. That was in uh, the first office we had. So we moved out of the basement, and we had an office downtown. And I hired other people in the company. But that was room.
0: a 10-7 office?
1: No, that wasn't a 10-7 office. That was Dalton Sherman's office. Oh, okay. But we spent, we, we had two offices in that suite of offices that we rented. Cool. Yeah. So that's how we started 10-7. was kind of by mistake.
0: <laughs> but look what you have now. Yeah, I know, right? Um, what is or was your greatest challenge in life?
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, for the record, for the audio um, My wife Susie, Eva's mom In the background is saying Me <laughs> As she's, a, she's my biggest challenge it Is not true um, I don't know um, If you don't have it, it's okay You know, yeah, okay. I think The most challenging part um, That I've experienced in my life Thus far was when mom when mom was sick in 2008 and in mm-hmm. 2011, when mom had cancer, that was tough. That was really tough. Um, it was tough because we didn't know what was going to happen with mom. It was tough because we had two little babies, mm-hmm. a little Eva and a little Cooper, and we still had to work and we still had to do things. Um, but we figured it out and mom got better. And
0: Mom's okay now. Mom's okay,
1: yeah. So that was ch- I think that was the most challenging
0: Good answer. <laughs> I'd say so too. <laughs> what is your greatest achievement? Oh, easy hard.
1: Oh, what is my greatest achievement? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't think I can take credit for my greatest achievement. I think it would be our greatest achievement.
0: It's like having a family. Yeah, it
1: is. It is. It's um. Raising um, a son whom I didn't know when he was first born, so like getting my greatest achievement is being a dad to James, and then having Eva and Cooper as children with mom. I think that's definitely our greatest achievement. Um, but if I was just being like, what have I done myself that I, without anybody else, um. I mean, I think starting and running a successful company is a pretty good achievement.
0: Mm-hmm. I agree with that.
1: Yeah. I kind of like doing my job. <laughs> yeah, that's a good achievement.
0: I agree. That is a good achievement. Do you have any advice for future generations?
1: Advice for future generations?
0: It can mm-hmm. be about starting companies. Or yeah,
1: I do. I, I do have advice. Oh, um, nice. The advice is this. Always follow your heart and what you know you want to be doing that makes you happy. Always rely on real data and facts to make good decisions. And have grace and courtesy and kindness in everything you do. It's important to be nice and empathetic towards all of the people around you. Because you don't know what everybody's going through. You don't know what their story is. And everybody's going through something, so you should always be nice and kind and be a friend. And as long as you do that and you use data to make good, solid decisions and you follow your heart, you'll be fine.
0: Yay! Yay! Thanks, Dad. Welcome. Okay. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Ten Seven podcast. I hope you learned something from it. I'm glad that it's live and I hope I earned some extra credit for my social studies class. Find the 107 podcast online at 107.com slash podcast. Again, that is 107.com slash podcast. And if you have a second, do send my dad a message. He loves hearing from you. The email address is podcast at 107.com. This is Eva Stegich. Bye, guys!